going on everybody we are back this is episode 267 of the dark windows podcast my name is kevin i'm i'm kevin and it threw me off not hearing any music right <laughs> so we're we're recording through uh different means this time we're still together we're just testing out some new software that we're going to possibly turn over to um so that's why it threw us off a little bit it's like back to the old school times where we just start it and then i would throw all the crap in and, and post uh. But, yeah. Um. So this week we're talking about yet another badass because we haven't done one in a little bit. And this guy's been on my list for legitimately years. Okay. Like, time to cover him. I don't know how many times we've covered absolutely insane guys that were, you know, like in World War II that just so happened to also be British. Um. But. Actually, I was going to say, I don't know how many, but I do, because I actually have a list of at least the guys that I've covered that were British. I don't know if you've ever covered a Brit, have you? No. No? It's because you don't like him. That's okay, though. Um, <laughs> eh. Like, yeah, Americans went over there, and we just went fucking kill crazy, and, you know, yeah, we, we stomp Nazi dicks, and that's what we do. That's fine. The Brits, on the other hand, did it weird. Um, for example, the last one I covered, uh, Pat Glover, who went yep. into battle with Myrtle the Parachicken, yep. who uh, actually went through all of her jump training and ended up getting her para wings. Yep. Um, she was killed in combat and, you know, yeah. buried as the hero she was. Yes. Um, Mad Jack Churchill with his bagpipes and Claymore, obviously. Um, the cast of characters from Coldest Castle and their glider that they built. <laughs> yep. um, and lest we forget, Patty Maine alcoholic rage monster that was chasing Nazis around North Africa with his boys in the SAS. Technically, he was Irish, but he was North Irish, so he's English with an Irish accent. Still Irish. Nah. I don't care. Nah. You're from the island. You're Irish. Well, strap in, folks, because we're adding another name to that list this week. I'm going to give it to you in little chunks, because it's it's a name. Okay. Allison Digby Tatham Warder. Tatham Warder is his last name, hyphenated, of course. Oh. Um, but yeah, that's our guy. Born. Allison Digby. Yeah. Born May 26, 1917 in Shropshire, England. Uh, his father, Henry de Grey Tatham Warder, um, owned some land. He had a few estates in the area. Um, Shropshire is in the same area as, like, Birmingham. Um, so it's like the the county that like borders wales sure they made it up it's okay um, and i know that we'll get it from a couple of people mostly danny and ben our english listeners that'll say things like wales isn't a real country and you know it's full of quote-unquote subhuman sheep fuckers uh, as i've heard ben refer to them more than once in conversations <laughs> <laughs> he can um, say it because you know he's from the island fair but there is one welshman that was pretty badass that is going to get an episode at some point in time. And I'm not talking about Tom Jones, Vegas singer, Tom Jones. He's actually Welsh too. Believe it or not. I had no fucking idea until I started looking, He's good. but he is Welsh. Um, I didn't know that guy by the name of T E Lawrence. Ringing a bell. Nope. Lawrence of goddamn Arabia. Oh, yeah. He, he was Welsh. Huh? So, which is just English with a different accent. And I think the, the I think the Welsh are technically the original Britons. Yeah, you know, 
Yeah, I'm I'm pretty confident in that. Yeah. So I mean, they all have an accent. Whatever. Somehow. I I don't understand how a, a country the size of like what California, like in geographically the size of California, so we're in that neck of the woods, has that many different accents. It's astonishing how many different accent ac- accents that just England and Scotland alone have. Yeah, you know it's. It's crazy. I mean, you get them going, and you're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we had a conversation with Ben. I'm sorry, Ben, but we had a conversation with you, and I couldn't understand half the words you were saying. You were speaking English, but it wasn't real English. It's British. It's not the same thing. Oh, I know. <laughs> Fucking God damn it. I'm like, what? Huh? What did you say? Oh, I'll just... Okay. It's like one of those ones, you know, if you're in person, you just nod and... Yeah, yep. smile. <laughs> I got hammered drunk with a Scottish guy at a bar one night when I was still going to bars. The more I drank, the more I understood what he was saying. But I still had no fucking clue what he was saying. You know what I mean? And he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I get it, man. I I know what you're saying, but I understand what you're saying. Mm. One of those. So we're going to talk about uh his old man, Henry, for a second. He was a member of the 21st Special Air Service Regiment. Hold on, this is the guy that you're going to be talking about. No, this is this is Digby's father. Henry. Okay, so Digby's father. Yeah, his father, Henry. Um, he was a member of the 21st Special Air Services Regiment, um, a.k.a. the Artist Rifles, which is not the gayest name for a regiment that's ever come out, because there was also a regiment from Canada that had a real crazy son of a bitch in it. He was in the Princess Rifles, Ooh. which, I mean... <laughs> I know it's named after a princess, but and all I could think is like, man, they bedazzled these guys' uniforms. You fucking know it. They they had to have. They all look you know, sexy. Uh, little fucking tiaras glued to their <sighs> their like doughboy helmets. You know it. Who's I'm the... a fancy man. I'm a fancy man. <laughs> <laughs> I am the princess's royal guard. We're it's the fucking princess. tutu and shit. Yep. Um. So at some point in his service in the trenches of World War One. He and the rest of his unit were gassed by Germans. Surprise. Um, mustard gas is awful. We, yeah. We've we've talked about that before. It's mustard. Um, and if you go, if you're a member of our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash dark windows podcast. Yeah, I knew you'd get the plug um, in. We did cover the attack of the dead men over there where the Germans on the eastern front gassed a bunch of Russians. The Russians being Russians and by proxy insane. Um, they got reverse stuff over there, like they, oxygen. They just tied bandanas around their faces. They coughed up a bunch of blood. Then when the Germans came in to fight him, they're like, oh, fuck. These guys are dead, but they're still shooting at us. Hello, comrade. Yeah. Your your shit's weak. Come back later. In pre-Soviet <laughs> Russia, mustard gas has no effect, except we all die. Um, <laughs> mustard gas doesn't affect you. I put mustard gas on hot dog. Um, so the gas was, you know, like, a, it's basically a slow poisoning. Yeah. Initially, troops don't see any symptoms, but after 24, 48 hours, you start to get blisters, burning sensation. Um, your eyes start to itch terribly. Sounds like syphilis. Um, and one of the worst ones is temporary blindness. Oh. So that's not, not fun. You know what that would mean? Or they just yanked it a little too much. They say you go blind. That's only if you hit yourself with it. <laughs> or if you pull off too fast and you hit yourself in the face. <laughs> well, I mean... You could break your nose jerking off. It's true. You slip and you just hit yourself right between the um, eyes and break your nose. You gotta be careful. Black both eyes. I had, I, 
it, it happens to the best of us. I mean, well, I mean, must not be this guy. Listen, if you have never, hold on, no, let me rephrase that. If you've ever suffered a masturbation related entry, email us darkwindowspod at gmail.com because <laughs> I would love to read that story on the fucking show. I think oh, that'd be hilarious. God. Anyway, um, I really don't want to know. I think it'd be funny. Uh, <laughs> many times the Germans would, uh, would cover it up with a, a, another gas they would use that actually just caused sneezing. Aha. Uh-huh. Um, so they'd, they'd go throw poppies in. Uh, you know, no, honestly, it's almost like, um, uh, like CS gas, like tear gas, basically. Um, because it would, you know, cause coughing, runny noses, bloody noses, breathing problems. It, to me, it sounds like, like you're getting tear gassed. Mm hmm. Um, it also damages the external and internal parts of the body, causing bleeding. Um, it affects your bronchial tubes, obviously, because it's a fucking gas in your lungs. Yeah. Um, triggers diarrhea, which is probably not the best thing in the world in the uh, trenches. You shit yourself. Uh, vomiting and fever. Nice. Um, severe, uh, severely injured victims succumb to uh, exposure within a month, usually a little bit quicker than that. Mustard gas can easily affect moist areas of the body, so blistering would form in, like, armpits, groin, um, yep. depending on the season, your feet, yep. because you get trench foot, and then you have this shit on top of it, so you have trench foot, and then it's blistering and popping. Yeah. Which, if you're curious, go look up pictures of trench foot if you don't want to eat tonight. Yeah. It's either trench foot or jungle rot. You can look up either. It's the same thing. Ugh fucking nasty yes uh, it, it literally just rots your skin off that's why they always said change your socks yeah change take motor and change your socks um one nurse who treated mustard gas uh patients said quote i wish those people who talk about going on with this war whatever it costs could see the soldiers suffering from mustard gas poisoning Great mustard-colored blisters, blind eyes, all sticky and stuck together, always fighting for breath, with voices a mere whisper, saying that their throats are closing and they knew they will choke. That's fucking horrific. Sounds like a great time to me. Right? Yeah, sounds like a party. I mean, I would want it so much. Like, yes, bring it on. So that being said, Henry survives the gassing and goes home. Led a fairly normal life. He helped raise, um, well some of his kids because uh in 1928 he would pass away when digby was 11 so he did have a younger brother that he wasn't really around for all that much um i think there was four kids total um when the time came uh digby follows in his old man's footsteps as did his brother john and one of his sisters kit um kit actually um would go on to win the french croix de guerre which is pretty rare for a woman during World War II. Mm-hmm. Uh, she did this because she served with the uh, the Hatfield Spears unit at the battle uh, at the Battle of El Alamein, which not great. It was fighting in Egypt. Yeah, not great. Um, I'd assume she probably served in some type of a nursing or care capacity, being a woman at the time. weren't a lot of you know, no. no matter what fucking battlefield and Call of Duty want to want to tell you, wasn't a lot of women in combat back then. No, uh, other than the resistance fighters, yes, because they were crazy. Yes, fourteen year old girl, like Belgian girl on a bike with an MP40. That's pretty dope. Yeah, <laughs> we covered one of those resistance we fighters. Did and there's a bunch more we could talk She's a about French, too. French woman. Uh, yeah, uh, Seguin was her last yep. name, I believe. Yeah. Yep. 
There's there's a, there's a couple more we could still do too. Oh yeah. Um. Oh yeah. Unfortunately, um, his brother was also at El Alamein, and he was fighting with the uh, second Dragoon Guards, aka the Queen's Bays. Ah. And he was killed in combat. What do you mean Bays? Oh, they were her bitches. <laughs> no, B A Y S. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> hey, Bay. Oh God! Don't ever say that again. You are too old and too white to say that. <laughs> Why? It's white people that came up with it. Shut up! I don't think it was, man. Well, they say it. I think it, we so. culturally appropriated that word. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think so. Um. Anyway, back to Digby. He would attend um, Wellington College, which is not where you go. You know, like it's not where Gordon Ramsay went to make the. Are you sure? The beef Wellington. Um. Which, wow. by the way, if you technically want to think about it, the corn dog is a beef byproduct Wellington. Because it is meat wrapped in a thing and then cooked. Yeah. Yeah. It's a beef yeah, beef, by, beef bribe. Still got a little numbness from my, my dentist appointment. It's a beef byproduct Wellington, uh. which is fucking gross. Um, but anyway... This place has been a college longer than Alaska has been a state. Um, 19- well, I mean, they've only been a state since 1960-something, I think. No, it was like 18, 18-ish something or other, but yeah. Uh, so he went there in 1935. He was accepted into the Royal Military College of Sandhurst. This place is essentially British West Point. Okay. Um, just just to throw a couple, a couple you know, names out there for people that... Um, that are uh, um, graduates from Sandhurst. We have Field Marshal Herbert Charles Plummer, who commanded five corps at the Battle of Ypres, which was a fucking horrific fight in World War One. He could clear a clear a drain like nobody's business. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it's Plummer or Plumer. It's only one M, and there's no B. It could be Plumer. It's it's British. It could be Plumer. It's plumber. You know uh, who it. knows? Um, John Hope, who served as the first governor of Australia. Did he have any hope, though? <laughs> or was he Bob Hope's hope? He was British, so no. He could still he was, be Bob Hope. He's hope. probably older than Bob Hope, too. I mean, he was the first governor of, of Australia. So Bob Hope was born in 1811 or whatever. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, Field Marshal Bernard Montgomery, who was a shitty general. Uh, Leo Major, who we covered way the fuck back, yeah, um, said about General Montgomery, quote, General Montgomery is incompetent and in no position to be giving out awards. Um, he said that after he found out that he was the one that was going to be giving him his Distinguished Service Cross. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, Sir Winston Churchill, who, if he were a Pokemon, his type would be sassy drunk. Anytime a woman in Parliament's like, you're drunk. And he's like, you're ugly. I'll wake up sober tomorrow. You'll still be ugly. Yeah. Winston Churchill is a motherfucker. Like, yeah. Dude, him and Teddy Roosevelt over whiskey would have been the best conversation ever. Maybe throw Hemingway in there. And just sit back. And watch. No. You threw fucking Grant in there, too. Yeah, you throw Grant in there, too. Yeah, absolutely. Or Sherman, if you really want to have get it spicy. Because, okay, substitute Grant okay, for Sherman. Okay, here's what we do. We roundtable it. Okay. Teddy. Uh-huh. Winston Churchill. Uh-huh. Ulysses Grant. Uh-huh. William Sherman. Uh-huh. And Robert E. Lee. Mm, yeah. I don't 
know. Yeah, because he was a very smart dude. Yeah, but Lee would be the one. He, uh, I don't. You wouldn't have fun with Lee. How do you know? I don't think you would. I bet he was a fucking party at West Point. I bet he wasn't. You sure about that? I'm telling you, I bet you he wasn't. I'm telling you he wasn't. I bet you, I bet you, you really want to have the party. You just fucking leave Grant out of it and just Sherman. You know, bring Sherman to the party. Every, then it's a party. You know, Robert E. Lee's father was like pretty high up yeah, in the uh, in the Continental Army during I know. World War, during uh, the Revolution. Lightfoot, yes. No, light horse. Light horse. Sorry. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I didn't know that until uh, a little bit ago. I was like, oh no shit, that's pretty cool, dude. Did you never watch The Patriot? It's been so long, and it's so <laughs> inaccurate. But you know, oh, it's not really like. I, I mean, mean, it's not based off of like real truth. He he's based off of a real person, but it's, but but it's very it, dramatized. It's, yeah, yeah, and it's not like where that shit actually happened. The guy that he's based off of didn't fight. You know, do whatever for Cornwallis or go. Do whatever with Cornwallis never happened. No, but he did fuck people up like wholesale. Yes, and yes. also made Cornwallis a buffoon, and he really was not. No, he was a damn good general. Yes, he was. Uh, the guy that that Jason Isaacs played that that giant dickhead that's based off of Bannister Tarleton, huge piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, gigantic piece of shit. Um, and of uh, a couple others that I want to throw on there. Our old buddy, um, uh, Ahmad Massoud, the Lion of Panjshir, um, Mujahideen fighter fighting the Russians during uh, Russian-Afghan yep. uh, War. He went there for a short period of time, uh, did a, like, a semester or two there. And honestly, probably my favorite name on this list that I found was Sir Ian Fleming, the creator of James Bond, went to Sandhurst. Inspiration behind James Bond. No, he created James Bond. He wrote the books. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, huh. um, so there were some motherfuckers coming out of Sandhurst. Um, Digby graduated from Sandhurst January twenty first, nineteen thirty seven, after winning the saddle, which I think has something to do with the the Sandhurst Cadet Competition. So it's like a like a biathlon, and then a bunch of other goofy shit that they do with it. Um. So he came out of there as a second lieutenant because he has gone to military college. He went yes. to regular college, so he comes out as an officer. Yes. Somehow, unfortunately for his rank, he is actually good at what he's about to do. Unlike most of the other guys that came into the war as lieutenants on either side because they went to college where they just fucking sucked. <laughs> the guys that were good at it were the ones that started off as like an NCO and they're like, nah, lead men. <laughs> Be gone with you. Um, he was sent as an unattached officer to the Indian Army, um, which was cool because he had been, you know, um, he'd, he'd spent some time in India before. And um, he was kind of deciding if he wanted to actually join the Indian Army or not, or if he wanted to stay as a floater. Um, but he did have family connections where if he wanted to stay as part of the Indian Army, he could have, mm -hmm. um, which would have meant that he would have fought in Burma instead yeah which also would have been awful possibly worse than what he's about to do so why would he want to stay in india you may wonder he picked up a couple of hobbies the, the first couple of times he went to india um yeah kush. huh kush no <laughs> no more dangerous than that oh um 
he got in, he got like really really into tiger hunting. Oh, and really really into something called pig sticking. Oh, um, tiger hunting pretty straightforward. Yeah, pig sticking is a completely different animal. That's when a group of men would go out either on horseback or on foot and try to spear wild boar. That's what I would think it was. Yeah. Super, super goddamn dangerous. Because wild boar don't play around. They, no. they will kill the bejesus out of you yes. just as quick as a tiger would. And they will actually eat you, too. Yeah. Um, whereas a tiger will eat you alive. A boar will kill you and, you know. Yeah. Then wait, call wait. his buddies and be like, hey, <laughs> smorgasbord. Long pigs on the menu. Let's do it. <laughs> um, leadership actually encouraged both of these activities, saying, quote, <laughs> A startled or angry boar is a desperate fighter, and therefore the pig sticker must possess a good eye, a steady hand, a firm seat, a cool head, and a courageous heart, which is all things you really want in leadership. Yeah. You know? For sure. Um, Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I think I would rather hunt a tiger with a rifle than try to stab a 200-plus pound pissed-off pig to death. Eh? You know? Um. So Digby is in India when World War II breaks out. He's then attached to the 2nd Battalion, Oxford and Buckinghamshire, Light Infantry, 52nd Regiment. Wow. He was not sent directly to Europe, um, mostly because the Brits didn't know if shit was going to jump off elsewhere. Um, So they didn't want to pull everybody home. Uh So he kind of hung out there for a little bit. Then he would eventually go back to England with the rest of the 52nd. And in 1940, he would be promoted to the commander of C Company of the 52nd Infantry. Later on in 1941, the entire battalion is converted into a glider unit. Oh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> these these guys are somehow crazier <laughs> than the guys that jump out of planes. Because you climb into a wooden box with wings on it with no landing gear. And you just get towed by a plane. Like a fucking banner. And then they would unsnap you and be like, best of luck. Hopefully you land on the right spot. Looks good. Let him go. Yeah. Yeah. There's some dude up there with a, he just starts as soon as you take off with a pocket knife, just sign. By the time we get through this rope, I hope to Christ wherever we need to be. (laughs) Yeah. But again, there's no landing gear on these. It's just a wooden box with wings. So many dudes landed poorly fucking broken legs their foot up somebody else's ass you know it it was it was bad um the (laughs) um there was a a u.s general uh, by the name of william westmoreland who kind of a big name he was asked at one point about the u.s version of the program which the u.s glider program was not as big as the british one Uh because we're like (laughs) gliders we have money for planes fuck that um and he said, quote, quote, the <laughs> the combat glider, the only aircraft built to crash. Yes. Yeah. So, like, eh. so speaking of American planes, at one point in his training, Digby, quote unquote, acquired an American Dakota aircraft. Oh, um, the Dakota was the Brits name for what we were <clears throat> for what we were calling the C-47 uh, Sky, uh, C-47 Skytrain uh, is built by Douglas Aircraft Company. These guys made some other planes that were actually way more famous than the C-47. Um, they designed and built the Dauntless Dive Bomber, the B, uh, the B-17 Flying Fortress, and a couple of other ones. Um, 
either way, he snags one of these. And a C-47 is, it's a troop transport. It's a big plane. Yeah. As far as I know, Digby has no pilot training. So he borrows this plane, loads it up with a bunch of dudes, which were all company commanders. He wasn't bringing, like, lower enlisted with him. And um, they could take off from their training grounds. And they end up landing at an airbase just outside of London. And then they attend a party at the Ritz. And then he flies it back and gives them their plane. <laughs> I mean, you want to fly in in style. I would also like to arrive in style. I would also like to arrive with someone flying a plane that knows what the fuck they're doing that isn't guessing. Well, apparently he guessed right. But you're going to see a lot with him. If you do anything with confidence, you can probably pull it off. Yeah. You'll see that as we keep going. Um, another thing he, he was pretty well known for was he liked to get drunk, which I guess didn't really take a whole bunch. Like he was, you know, two beer and he was done. Um, but he would get shit face drunk and then start fist fights with his buddies uh-huh. and then wake up the next morning and have no idea what happened. Why are my hands hurt? Why is my face hurt? I don't know. Cause you picked a fight with fucking Johnny over there. Oh, I did. How much did I drink? Two beers. Ah, that explains it. You know, you were calling him a two beer queer. I was gonna, and I didn't use the word cause I was like, eh, whatever. I said it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, I'm a light beer queer, so whatever. Who cares? <laughs> um it's just a saying folks you can delete this if you want it is i'm gonna call anybody a queer for drinking anything it's wine coolers okay any argument there (laughs) i mean white claws more more manly than them fucking seagram's things i don't know about that i mean did you see white claw just released non-alcoholic white claw no yeah it's like wow you guys you guys did it you went full circle and made flavored seltzer water I don't care. I mean, I won't drink it anyway because I think it tastes like dog shit. It's not great, but if in a pinch, if you want to drink, it's it's all right. I still won't drink it. Uh, I I drank uh, approximately thirteen of the lemon ones at a wedding that I was in, and then uh, don't do that. Eh. I don't like seltzer. I had foamy shits because of all the mm. the seltzer. But anyway, nobody needs to know about that. Um, <laughs> they do now. <laughs> so after learning about the death of his brother, El Alamein, in 1942, he volunteered to join the parachute regiment. Uh-huh. The Brits did jump training, um, but they also did it a little bit different than how we do it. Where the fuck is Monica Casino? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> That's another dude we got to cover. Um, so recruits would need to complete eight jumps to earn their jump wings. Yep. They did five of which from planes during the day. Cool. Makes sense. One by fucking air balloon during the day. And two more by air balloon at night. Oh. So they would send like four or five dudes up and just push them out of the, <laughs> out of the big old wicker basket and be like, good luck. Make sure you pull your chute. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> um, the notes that were made um, in his jump record. Go something like this. Excellent officer. Good keen jumper. Excellent lander. Yeah. Kind of what you want is somebody that's going to parachute. Um, he was also kind of a like a long gangly son of a bitch. He was like well over six feet uh-huh. and just like built like a broom. Kind of a goofy looking dude. I'll show you pictures of him in a minute. Um, so after. It could have been worse. It could have been like shitty jumper. Can't land where shit. Going to break his ankles one day. <laughs> and they still did like green light. Get out. 
And you have to push him out of the plane. Can you imagine so you... sending somebody Patty Main size out of a plane? 6'3", 240? Dude. It's like dropping a fucking pro wrestler on somebody. Sergeant, just tap my shoulder. <laughs> Lieutenant Colonel Triple H, get out. <laughs> um, so from here, he, he was shipped off to Hardwick. Uh, I'm sorry, Hardwick Hall, where he joined the holding wing depot and school airborne forces with Africa um, being at the next stop. What? Yeah, the fucking the titles are ridiculous, dude. Oh, I, I... Okay, never mind. Yeah. Never mind. I'm not even going to fucking attempt it. Please don't. <laughs> I, I, okay. So by the time he got there personally, the rest of the 2nd uh, Parachute Battalion with Africa had already been sent to Italy. Oh. Because they had to go to Italy to go to Africa. What? I don't fucking know, dude. I'm just telling you what I read. So, like, there was a section of it that was sent to Italy where he was supposed to be, and he missed a train or something and just didn't get there in time to ship off with him. Okay. <laughs> so he just kind of fucking hung out until October of ni- uh, October 12th of 1943. So he's finally hooked up with a with another battalion, and they're here he's given command of A Company at the age of 27. Um, told that he's headed for action. Yay! Finally get to do something. Uh, a Company was chosen by Lieutenant Colonel John Dutton Frost, which at first I was like, oh shit. Dude from, from Yellowstone, but okay, no, he's British, so yeah. he, he, he knows nothing of cowboying. No. <laughs> or Montana. His last name is Frost. Yeah, shut up. I know that <laughs> after I finished reading it. Um, <laughs> So he he was sent to take charge at the head of the second paratroop battalion for Operation Market Garden. Oh, more specifically, he was headed straight to Arnhem. Uh huh. Not a good place to be. No. So he was selected for this because of how aggressive of a commander he was during training, and the higher ups hoped that this would kind of carry over into real world applications. You know. Uh huh. Um, Dig uh, Digby was he was concerned with the radios. Because I guess during training, they'd had some issues with the radios, like losing signal and just being crackly and shitty. Uh-huh. Um, so he came up with a backup plan. And sign language. He... No, no. A little bit noisier than sign language. Clicking. No. <laughs> no? No. Uh... No. No. I give you one more guess. Oh, fuck. Telephone. Hello. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> what, tin can telephone? Yeah. Almost, but no cell. Son of a bitch. Somewhere in a library, military library, he found a manual of World War One bugle calls and commands. Oh. And he, te- he taught all of his dudes all these different calls and commands with bugles. Okay. So, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I... I no, it was not from World War One. It was from the Napoleonic Wars because World War One they would have just been like, "Oh my God, I'm fucking artillery." That's yeah. how they communicated. <laughs> um, and um, he was like, he probably figured, you know, the Germans don't understand this because there was no Nazis during the time of Napoleon. No, you know, I don't think I don't know if Germany was even a thing back then yet. If so, it was very, very early on in Germany being a thing. Yeah, Germany became a thing in like eighteen something. Yeah. Probably, probably towards the tail end of the Napoleonic Wars, if at all, if not later. Because, um, well, Germany had been a country during at the beginning of World War One for like 30 years or some shit like yeah, that. So. Yeah, so they, they may have missed the Napoleonic Wars. There was no Hessians there, let's put it that way. Those yellow-coated sons of bitches. 
Whoa, whoa, easy. Relax. No, no, fuck them. Fuck them. Fuck them. Fuck them. Fuck them. Relax. Nope. My ancestor was a Hessian. I don't give a fuck, dude. He was on the wrong side of it. Doesn't matter. Blue coats all day, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He also did a few other things that are a bit unorthodox during battle. Um, He had a hard time remembering passwords and commands. Like, like, blue potato. Fuck. That that was something that that yellow canary knew it. That was something he couldn't wrap his mind around. So he carried an umbrella with him. And he said, quote, only a bloody fool of an Englishman would carry an umbrella into battle. And he's absolutely fucking right. Um, there's, there's some more odd shit <clears throat> coming up that he also does. Uh, obviously, we've talked about Market Garden before a couple of times just to revisit it, though. It was at the time the largest airborne invasion in world history. Yes. It'd be knocked out <clears throat> a little over a year later by Operation Varsity. Um, Market Garden took place between September 17th and 27th, 1944. Um, set up to take a bunch of strategically advantageous bridges um, uh-huh. that you could use to cross the lower Rhine uh-huh. into Germany. This is the whole, we're going to bypass the Siegfried line and end the war by Christmas. Um, <clears throat> and that was according to Eindhoven. Field Marshal Bernard Montgomery. He was the one that came up with the, we're going to do this and win yeah. the war before Christmas, and he was goddamn wrong. Yeah, it was, <clears throat> which which all led to, like, the bulge, and, yeah. I mean, it was, like, Market Garden and Eindhoven and all those places, then it was, like. Eindhoven was actually part of Market Garden. It was just yeah. a different city, but, yeah. I was just saying, it was Eindhoven. I, I believe and... the Americans landed in Eindhoven. The Brits yeah. landed in Arnhem. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, they did go to Arnhem too, right? But they um, they went through there on the way through. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it was Eindhoven and oh, fuck, I can't think of the other one. Anyway, they were like in in that whole thing and fighting amongst the the shrubbery. Yeah, the windmills and shit. Yes. Oh, um, look, that's a windmill. There's dikes. Not that kind of dike yeah. either. <laughs> A company was set to drop near Arnhem Bridge, um, but they missed and ended up on the other side of Arnhem by hey, about, by about seven miles. Do you want to see my shock face? <laughs> yeah, right. We just stuck you in a fucking cardboard box and let it go out the back of a plane. You might land there. You might not. Figure it out. Huh? Who are you supposed to be with? Well, I'm with the the eight oh second. Well, this is one hundred first. You're gonna in the wrong place. You're gonna come with us. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a radio man. You're a rifleman first. Anyway, we'll stop that now. We'll nip that in the butt. Um, so the landing kind of went off without a hitch. Nobody's injured on the landing, which is shocking to me. Um, Digby and his boys, they, they made their way the whole seven miles, um, moving through residential areas, sticking to like backyards, staying away from the roadways and anywhere they're going to be seen. Um, thankfully, the people in town weren't like, ah, it's British, you know, because they didn't like the fucking Nazis either. No, because the Nazis were scum. Yeah. I mean, pretty self-explanatory, but um, uh, where did I leave off here? Sorry. So within uh, so within five hours of hitting the ground, they make the journey on foot. They run into a couple of Germans along the way, take low casualties. They did, on the other hand, take a, depending on the source. Anywhere between a couple dozen and a hundred plus 
German uh, German prisoners, including members of the uh, you know the the Waffen SS. Yeah, like the SS were bad guys. They were good at what they fucking did, though. They were really good at fighting. Yeah, but did they take as many as a certain captain did? Which one? Well, there was only one captain, and then he would later become, you know, higher up than that. He would become a colonel. I don't know, dude. Leo Major took, like, 150 by himself, so that's pretty fucking good. Yeah, but, like, fucking goddamn uh, winners charged through by himself, and then was like, hey, motherfuckers. Well, that's exactly what Leo Major did, except he did it with one eye. Well, listen, <laughs> this is not a competition, okay? We sure about that? Winners became a colonel. What did he become? Doesn't matter. He had one eye, and he still fucking <laughs> destroyed Germany. Yeah, badass. So did winners. Yeah, he's a ginger though. <laughs> At least on the show, who knows? Really? Um, uh, no, he wasn't. So the the actor was good though. Anyway, um, he was a blonde, but the actor was good for it. Yes, you know? very much. And when like you watch Band of Brothers, and you watch, you know, like you look at pictures of the dudes from when they were in service and then you see them as old men and then you see the actors they got for me go holy shit they did really good for the most part like there were some guys who were like okay yeah whatever but a lot of them were pretty spot on yeah you know they messed it up a little bit but they i mean like the, the dude that played bill garnier may as well have been his grandson oh fucking right the guy that played toys may as well have been his grandson yeah you know Pretty For good. Sure. I mean, even uh, yeah, a lot of them. Lipton, pretty fucking close. Yeah, you know, I mean, obviously you can't <laughs> you you can't give a uh, you can't give a fucking a, a Wahlberg a Southern accent. I don't think they can manage how to do it, but whatever. <laughs> you know, no. He made Simon Pegg American, though. Come on, you know, it's just how it goes. I know. And I still love that dude. He tried out for it, okay? He did good. He did good for the, like, 30 seconds he was in. And so did Jimmy Fallon. Hey, you know. I mean, and uh, what's his name there uh, that that was, uh, you know, in Friends? Ross. Ross. I, I guess he wasn't really as much of an asshole no. as they made him out in the show. No. But you no. have to have a bad guy. Yeah. Other than the Nazis. Winners didn't like him, and some of the others didn't like him. That was the whole thing, and but... You know, according to my brother, who actually talked with some of the other guys, they're like, no, he really actually really was a cool guy. I'm a Jew, too. Congratulations. Get your nose out of my face. <laughs> uh, <laughs> fuck. So they arrive at the bridge. As a, as a fellow Italian, you cannot tell me this is This spaghetti. isn't spaghetti. This is army noodles with ketchup. <laughs> yes. Um, they arrive at the bridge to find it had been shelled to shit. It's just... Shelled to shit. Yeah, which is an American term. That's not, you know... Oh, well, I mean... I don't think the Brits would have said that. Oh my! <laughs> they would say it was right fucked. <laughs> this, bri- this bridge is right cunted. Yes, uh, that's Australia. <laughs> uh, uh, yes, um, and it's it's just lousy with burning trucks. Uh, Every truck that could have been on the bridge and on fire at the same time was. That way, that one's on fire. <laughs> Pull on fire. So they're supposed to initially hold the bridge for about forty-eight hours. That'll give time for tanks and other armor to get. To where they need to be. Yeah, because Belgium's kind of a pain in the ass to drive that stuff through because the the roads are tight and you can't just go out through the fields because you get stuck because it's good soil. 
for growing shit. And my son's out there yelling. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm like, I was like, you're this. Like, whoa. So here's where shit sucks. Well, wait a minute. Why hasn't it sucked already? Well, because fucking Dick Stradamus here. Oh. Called his shot. And almost immediately when they arrive at the bridge, the radio stopped working. Oh, damn shit. Um, but he brought he, the brass section with he, him. He's got the backup. We, like I said, he brought the brass section. We're good. Bring in the bass. Brass. Um, <laughs> so also with the radios being out, they didn't realize that they had no backup at all. Like uh-huh. they didn't even have any like infantry in the area around for backup. So well, boys, seems like we're we're in this on our own. We're in a bit of a sticky wicket. Sticky wicket. Cheerio. A pickle, if you will. So the Paris fought off Germans in the area and forced them to retreat back across the bridge. Um, but the Germans were really good at retreating and then coming back and forth shortly after. They did that a lot during World War II. Yeah. It'd like false retreat and be like, oh, you beat us. And then like 45 minutes later, be like, brought Hans and the boys. Let's do it. You know. And we got the backs up. Yeah. It's called the Koenig's Tiger. <laughs> well, they did bring back up. Um, Penza. In the form of a Panzer division. Ooh. <laughs> so. Um, Digby noticing a tank starting across the bridge gives no doesn't call for a timeout. No, fourteen. What? <laughs> Never mind. What? Do it. No, no. Tell me. I'm, I'm lost. <laughs> oh, I'm sending signals down to you from the fucking tower. You know, four answers. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> they were doing fucking just tooting it out you know <laughs> wait what what i don't uh, know what that word was something about cats i don't fucking get it whatever i'm not here to fight cats um so seeing the bridge uh the, you know the, the, the tank on the bridge he gives the only order that really makes sense in this situation <laughs> no he orders them to fix bayonets ah and he leads a fucking bayonet charge jolly good time the infantry that's with the tank, obviously. I mean, bayon- obvious. <laughs> they, they, I mean, there's no AP bayonets, you know. Um, how do you so, know? How, how do you? Did they roll for it? They might have advantage. No, they Was didn't there, have concealment or cover. How do you? Are you very sure? low initiative rolls. Um, but he leads his infantry charge. So he led this charge personally against enemy infantry. Um, he had. His pistol in one hand and his fucking umbrella in the other. And apparently as he was running down the bridge, he's got his pistol out, shooting at Germans, and he's just whipping his fucking umbrella over his head like Petey Pablo style <laughs> and Petey yelling. Petey <laughs> <laughs> um, Oh, let's not forget. Um, Digby didn't wear a helmet when he was in combat. He did not like them. He did not like the look of them. Didn't like the fit of them. He went into battle with his maroon beret, which at this point in time is rolled up in his pocket. Because somewhere along the line, he'd come across a bowler hat and figured he's probably going to look dapper as hell in this thing. Well, I mean, you know, you got to look good. So he pops it on. And then you, so you got to picture this tall, lanky, strange looking British man leading a bayonet charge with a goddamn bowler. <laughs> It's incredible. It's just a you would not get away with that shit nowadays. God, oh, uniform violation. He didn't like eat yeah. dicks, you know. Um, 
man, I, I got to get through this detail and then we're going to take a break. Under his order, they repel the German counterattack. And this has been verified by every single source that I looked for. He temporarily, he personally, let me add this, personally, temporarily disabled a piece of German armor. We don't know if it was a panzer. We don't know if it was some, if it was one of like the Greyhound, like their um, half truck, like APCs, like covered ones, whatever yeah. they were. Okay. The half track. Right. Uh, most likely a tank though, because of the next description. He approached it on the blind side. <laughs> jammed his fucking umbrella through the observation slot and directly into the tank commander's eye. The pen is mightier than the sword. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why I I subtitled this one Combat Mary Poppins, but I'm starting to think he was possibly more of a Doctor Who-y kind of, guy, kind of character. Mm. You know, this umbrella is this fucking sonic yeah. screwdriver. Yeah. <laughs> it unlocks doors. It fucking kills Germans. Ridiculous. So I think now we got to take our break real quick and we'll be right back. Finish this off. So not too long after this anti-armor umbrella kill, he saw a chaplain that's trying to get to some injured, uh, injured men, but he's pinned down by heavy mortar and machine gun fire. Digby makes his way across the street. It's like nothing's going on. He's going to meet a friend for coffee. Yeah. He's got his umbrella open and pressing across his shoulder. Um, Gets up to the priest, and he is absolutely shocked when Digby just kind of, like, hooks his arm and says, Come on, Father, let's go. Um, Chaplain, um, quote, expressed his concern about the, you know, mortar and machine gun fire, to which Digby responded, and I quote, Don't worry about any of that. I've got an umbrella. <laughs> that is... See, that umbrella, what you don't know is... That umbrella, um, he found it on a wizard. They say it's it's even if it's a level if it's you know like level four level four umbrella plating, thirty caliber round at that range is going to rip right through it. Well, see, I mean, it's not level four. See, it's like at least seven. Or no, eight. no, no. I'm talking like level like plating, you know, like armor plates. Yeah, well, you know? it's got super invincibility on it too. No. No, I'm talking about actual armor rating. That's what I was I was trying to say. I know, yeah. but I'm saying <sighs> it's I'm, got something, man. Because I'm going tell D and D route here, motherfucker. So again, he <laughs> hooks the priest's arm and walks him across the street under the fucking umbrella, like just tips it up over everybody. Um, it was at this time Lieutenant Pat Barnett notices what's going on. He comes running across a a pretty good wide open space where he's being shot at while he's running because he thinks Digby has absolutely lost his goddamn mind. Um, <clears throat> and as he gets there, Digby repeats this trip with a couple more troops. Just walking him across the street like little old ladies. Um, Barnett is completely dumbfounded and says to him, quote, that thing isn't going to do you any good at all. To which Digby replied, oh my goodness, Pat, what if it rains? <laughs> <laughs> dr seuss horse shit like it, it's ridiculous yes um uh barnett said that he uh he had quote an exaggerated look of shock on his face and in his voice <laughs> you know um his actions with his umbrella had apparently upset the germans because they started using this 
most likely unstable British men, Englishmen with the umbrella and maroon beret to zero in fire and mortars. Um, Cause they're like, no, this guy, fuck him. We, we want him dead now. Yeah. Like, I feel like if they had killed him, they'd have been like, all right, cool. Pack it up, head back. You know, <laughs> yep. we'll call it a day. We got rid of this prick. Um, <laughs> we won the battle. <laughs> uh, so he said that more than once while he's out, you know, wandering around with his umbrella during this whole thing, he heard and felt rounds pass him um, from machine guns, snipers, there, whatever. They passed him. Yeah, exactly. So he's the kind of guy that while all this shit's going on, he's just out cracking jokes, being super casual with the, with, you know, with the guys, completely unbothered by the fact that they're in combat. Like, yeah, it's just whatever happens, you know. Um, so he has his men holding their position there for a total of four days. After four days, the radios start working, uh, which is great because that's when he found out for sure, a hundred percent. You guys are on your own. Like we can't send the armor up because we're not taking this bridge. We're gonna basically pull everybody out and find another way through. So George Lawson, who is a signalman, was out in an ammo run. He's he's got a uh, like a shopping basket and a couple of bags, like empty bags, like slung over his shoulders. Um, so he obviously can carry ammo back to the front and, um, Digby's out just walking around behind his guys, twirling his umbrella and giving orders and, you know, making sure everybody's got what they need. And George Lawson sees this and just kind of stops dead in his tracks and sidewalk and just like staring at him like the maniac that he is. And, um, Digby notices him and stops in the middle of the street and just kind of, you know, does the whole hand thing and shoes him off. And he says, <laughs> quote, hurry up and get some and get back to your post. Get back to your post, soldiers. Hold on. Hurry up and get Jesus. Hurry up and get some ammo and be it back to your post, soldier. There are snipers about. <laughs> He's fucking standing still like. What are they going to do? Shoot me. This this dude is something else. He's got boots of invinci- invisibility, <laughs> dude. He's unbothered by the fact that he is the biggest target in all of Europe at this point in time with his umbrella and, and maroon beret. His charisma is at a plus 10 right now. But, like, unfortunately, like everybody else in his unit, Digby was injured a couple of times. Uh, mostly. Lucky. Mostly he got his ass and legs chewed up with shrapnel. It's his butt to flesh wound. Um, completely brushed off the limp. And, uh. After he got patched up. <laughs> so he'd apparently taken some of the arm tooths. They put him in a sling. So obviously he can't twirl an umbrella and hold a, a pistol at the same time. So he does, does the proper thing and hangs his umbrella off of, of his course, sling. <laughs> of course. Any proper gentleman does that. Another company commander, Major Wallace, uh, was killed the night of September 18th. Lieutenant Colonel Frost has now taken command of first para. And he makes Digby his second in command by placing him in charge of the second battalion. Has a conversation with Frost at HQ, which is still within eyeshot of this bridge. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, so he's there getting his commendation and and Digby asks, quote, I'd like to know if this is worse or not as bad as other things that you've seen. Because this is the first time Digby's been in combat. So he's like, does it get worse than this or is this all right? You know? Yeah. How does this make you feel? <laughs> um, Frost said, quote, it's hard to say because we still have food and water, but we're low on ammo. 
Yeah. Yeah. You know, so they kind of see the writing on the wall that this, this whole, this is lost. They're not going to take this bridge. So second battalion was told stay at, at brigade HQ where they can see the bridge and hold off the Germans. Um, they're at a distance where they can still accurately put rounds on target on the bridge from there. So they're going to hold this while the rest of everybody else leaves town and they head for, uh, back towards uh, Oosterbeek. So the problem with that is that the Germans now have them completely zeroed in um, with mach- for machine guns and mortars and shit um, because they know that they're not on the bridge anymore, but they also know, hey, we know exactly where you are. So Digby comes up with an idea to sneak his boys out in small groups of like two or three with the idea of leaving the building and retaking the position in the morning. It turns out that they have been completely surrounded by Germans at this point. Uh-huh. So obviously they're captured right before he is captured, though. He, he sees it coming, grabs the radio and sends out a final message out of ammo. God save the king. <laughs> that's all he said <laughs> uh, not like uh, hey we're being captured by germans send help or anything like that <laughs> we done what we could <laughs> tell the boss we said hi <laughs> look on the bright side right? of life <laughs> the germans were nice enough to send him to saint elizabeth hospital knowing that he was pretty fucked up um they sent him there september 21st that night the night of the 21st he and captain tony frank who was his second um would escape at an open window as soon as the nurses left for the night it wasn't you know uh, a cold it's castle level breakout where there's like bed sheets and shit tied together and yeah, yeah. you know we got a glider built in the attic to try to escape they're on the first floor they literally climbed out of out, out a window and hid in the bushes <laughs> um so the next day um so they, they had the, the presence of mind to get out of their prison uniforms or fucking uh-huh. jumper or whatever they were in for the hospital, put their uniforms back on. Digby had the components built into the buttons of his uniform for a survival compass, ah. which is pretty damn cool. So he gets that all back to all together. You're going to say a survival umbrella. No, <laughs> it's my emergency <laughs> umbrella. Ah. Uh. <laughs> he had a metal gear solid back in to steal all of his gear and he's like ah guns nah knives nah I got my umbrella though fucking right taking yep. it yeah. um <laughs> so he gets his compass all set and um they start heading west towards uh Marindal. when they get there they meet this little old dutch woman she speaks zero english because she's dutch and it wasn't a, a needed thing at the time and um she kind of looks him up and down and decides you're probably not Nazis. So she sneaks them off to the barn, out back, brings them food and lets them sleep there for the night. The next morning, she comes in and kind of like, you know, nudges him awake. And she's standing there with her neighbor, who just so happens to be a member of the Eid Resistance. Uh huh. He takes them to a place called uh, Warnsburn Woods, uh, which is just a couple miles down the road. And on the 3rd of October, um, he's introduced to Bill Wildeboer. It's literally, it, it's spelled wild E boar, like the war. Okay. So I was like, it's not wild boar. I think it's Wildeboer. We'll go with Wildeboer because it sounds less 
cartoony. Okay. It's like um, Build-A-Bear, but World yeah. War. <laughs> Bill, <laughs> his name is William Build-A-Bear, goddammit, and his family built this country. Did. Um, he is the head of the Eid Resistance. So old Bill proceeds to tell him that there are a ton of escaped British and American airborne guys in the area that are kind of scattered. He needs help organizing everybody. Digby, being a good dude, offers his help. No problem. Whatever. Let's do it. Um, so he's given uh, some civilian clothing and a bicycle. And the pair rode about 10 miles to Ede, um back to Wildebeer's home. Um, the following day, three men arrive, a tailor, a photographer, and a barber. Of course. Um, they didn't bring any, like, frankincense or myrrh. They're here to uh, to fuck Digby up a little bit. He entered the home as Digby Tatum Water, a commander in the British military, responsible for a full battalion of British paras, and he left the mute, deaf son of a lawyer from The Hague. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so they built him a fake ID. It just kind of, you know, screwed him up a little bit. Like, eh. now you, you can't talk to anybody because you're mute and deaf. So if anybody talks to you, you just kind of straightforward and keep moving. Um, they they did refer to him as deaf and dumb, but ah. it, <laughs> I know <laughs> mute is probably the better way to to put it. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Um. So he could now kind of move around outside with impunity, even though there was hundreds of German troops in the area. And uh, on one of his trips out to you know touch base with a bunch of guys, um, he comes across a German staff car that had swerved to avoid something and ended up in a ditch. And being a gentleman, he stops his bike and helps push this car back up onto the road. <laughs> One of the Germans shook his hand and slapped his shoulder and sent him on his way. Um, so by a stroke of bad luck, though, a group of German officers took up residence in Wildeboer's home. And when uh, when Digby returned from his travels, uh, right right before curfew, because the Germans had a curfew for civilians, yeah. right after that, they're yep. going to shoot you. Yep. Because they're scumbags. Um, he would often find himself entering the house at the same time as the Germans. Um, and initially he would give way to them, but eventually he gets tired of being so polite and he would make it a point to go first, which kind of, uh, caused a little, like a slight issue. Um, but they kind of backed down as soon as he just started just fucking eye fucking them. <laughs> like, you can't say anything to him because he's deaf. Yeah, and he's mute. You're going to pick on a guy that can't talk? Exactly. No, well, don't be they... an asshole. Let him go. You know? Um, these officers were, were much more polite, I guess, to him after that. Um, and as they were coming and going from the house, they would nod to each other. And occasionally it would grow into handshakes and back slaps on the way through. You'd be buddies with him, you know? Um, <laughs> and then what time he fucks up and goes... Have a good day. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> oh my god, I can talk. Oh my god, I can hear. Um, he did. A, he did a really good job of of managing all of these airborne guys that are hiding, and um, they set up like signal links and shit like that at the residence. Um, he managed to contact headquarters more a couple of times, which uh, the first uh, first British Airborne Corps in England and the British intelligence that were in a 
Namagan, I believe is how you say that. It's a it's a weird one. Yeah. Um, but that I believe the guy that was in that was there was MI nine, whatever version of whatever we have that is. But um, I don't know. But the guy that he talked to was actually an alumni of Colditz who had escaped, got back to British lines, and they're like, "Okay, well, you obviously know what you're doing." Welcome to intelligence, son. Uh-huh. Um, so uh, the, the guy's name was uh, Airy Nave. Was the, uh, the Harry guy. Navel? No, Airy. A I R E Y. His yeah. parents couldn't say Harry. Oh, that's how they pronounce it anyway. I all right. Yeah, isn't it? <laughs> um. So Nave wrote the following in his memoir about having, you know contact everything that was going on there Uh, his book is called they have their exits he says quote the power stations in namagan on the wall at the uh, at and at ead on on the northern bank of the rhine were linked by private telephone line which remained intact while the battle raged the exchanges were controlled by the resistance and all gave us information that in the house and forest of Eid were hidden nearly 140 men, among them Major Digby Tatum Warder, DSO. This officer, a man of calm integrity, conducted the conversations the fo- uh, that, that followed between the two power stations. Despite the risk of despite the risk of capture, he came from his hiding place each uh, each evening between nine and ten to the terminal house at Eid, and there spoke to the rescue organizations in Namagan. He passed. Uh, he passed to those on duty in the power stations, and the power station lists by name of the survivors of the Great Airborne Landing, which included Brigadier uh, Lathbury, commanding the first uh, first parachute brigade. During the first two weeks of October 1944, I sat every evening in the Gaunt Power Station with Major Hugh Fraser, MBE of the SAS. Now, okay, so as of the time he was writing it, he was a uh, um, MP for stratford so he went on and went, had a political career after this which uh, honestly we don't have enough guys to do that anymore now they're all just career politicians that would rather you know crawl yeah. over your corpse to make money than you know true. do anything the right way true i mean shit when was the last president we had that actually had military service jf fucking k that's who uh, <clears throat> no no that's not true because george bush senior was in world war ii he almost got eaten by Japanese cannibals. We'll talk about that eventually. <laughs> well, no, he never saw combat. Yes, he did. He sure as fuck did because he got shot down in Japan. Um. Yes. Yes, he did. Okay, I don't know. Yeah, he was shot down in. Uh, I thought I there what were, I what, okay. what, what see it was, but I don't know. I, um, I just thought there was one of them that never actually. It was stuff that said that he did, but he actually never left. John Kerry. No, it was no. Kerry actually did see combat. Yeah, from a distance. Um, but John McCain, on the other hand, yes. motherfucker, saw combat. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Also got his arms broken a whole bunch. But before that. Civil yeah, War, like I think, right? No, it was uh, JFK. Well, the Teddy, Teddy before that, I think. No, Eisenhower. That's true. That's true. But it, it's been a while since we've had one that, you know, and now the only dude that I can think of that's like in politics that 
Saw Combat is kind of, eh, I don't know if I trust him or not. What are you talking about? Uh, that, that Dan Crenshaw fellow there with the eye patch, the former Navy SEAL that's like, man, red flag laws are pretty awesome. Yeah. Oh. I don't know, man. Yeah. You lost me at that part. I think there's an, I don't think that's the only guy. I think there's a guy there's, out of, there may be a couple more, but there's he's a guy as a Navy SEAL that's, uh, or whatever. He's out of Arizona that doesn't have an eye patch. And he's, okay. well, and he's actually like, yeah, I'm fucking calling people out on shit. Okay. That's not the same guy then. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, but it's been a while since we had. Was a, on, uh, um, he was on, uh, um, he was on, uh, Nick uh, Freitas by the name, by the chance, his name. I don't know. He was, so he I like on, him. He was he's on Sean Ryan show. Um, yeah, it's been a while since we've had a president that was actually like in the military. You know? Yeah. Because um, a lot of them were like, oh, man, it sucks that I got a bum leg and a, a father in a high enough political area that I don't have to get drafted. Bill Clinton. <laughs> True. <laughs> Fucking snake. Anyway, um, so listening for the, the tele. Uh, so you sit there listening for the telephone bell. It seems that we were, we were waiting for a signal from the other world. The shells from en- enemy batteries at Arnhem crashed around the uh, the Namagan Bridge, shaking the powerhouse. Besides, uh, beside us sat technical officers. Their staunch Dutch faces betrayed no emotion. We would wait for uh, wait with beating hearts for a faint ring of the telephone and Tatum Warder's voice. So this is a dude that talked to Digby a lot and was like, "Good thing we're talking to him because he's actually." passing on information that we can use to fix the situation. So through these channels, it was arranged for the RAF to drop weapons, ammunition, equipment, food, and cigarettes. Very important. You got to give them cigarettes in there to, uh, to Digby's guys. The arms were buried in the countryside until they were needed. Um, with it being, uh, basically they had to bury all this shit so that it wasn't found immediately by Germans. Uh Um, so they didn't do it themselves though, because a lot of the Dutch resistance guys were were um, helping them hide supplies and bury shit as they needed to. Um, so if the second British army made it, uh, they made a second attempt across the Rhine. Um, eventually, it kind of set in that this is not happening, and they had to withdraw back to Allied lines. Yeah. So now they're definitely in the ship by themselves. Now is when we run into something that you're going to be very familiar with from Band of Brothers called Operation Pegasus. Yeah. The name's probably not ringing a bell, but what's about to happen will. Took place on October 22nd, and it involved 138 men making their way to the riverbank, most of whom were armed and ready to fight their way through any opposition they encountered. Digby made his way to the rendezvous area, deep in the woods around uh, Rankham, in the comp- uh with uh brigadier lathbury um they're riding next to each other on bikes um they passed somewhere in the neighborhood of about 200 german troops and uh received absolutely no challenge from any of them at all at about 2100 um having made a little bit stopped and done a little bit of recon um they're pretty close to the river and digby gives the orders for everybody else to advance so their boots are wrapped in rags to quiet the noise. Digby would later compare their stealth approach to that of a herd of stampeding elephants. Ah. <laughs> um, 
they left cover in the woods, you know, out to a meadow, which was, uh, the meadow actually helped out a lot because there was a really like, uh, he called it a low lying mist, but I'm going to call it a American werewolf in London mist uh-huh. where it's like about waist high, uh-huh. you know, stick to the roads, staff the moors, that kind of thing. Um, so just because I'm a, I'm a, a dummy, I had, I have to look it up. We've only had 31 presidents serve in the military. Okay. And the last one was Herbert, uh, George Wa- Walker Bush. Yeah. Herbert Walker also served. Did he though? Yeah. Herbert Walker. Oh was yeah, the, yeah, senior. Yes, he did. Senior was the one that got shot down. Yeah, and then Walker Bush just served, and he was on a carrier or something. He never did anything. He was in the rear with the gear, pulling yeah. pud. He didn't do anything. But then before that, well, I mean, like Carter and everybody, like pretty much what from all the way from well from from senior back to Kennedy served yeah nixon did no yeah. shit yeah. i didn't know that huh. so did uh carter and lyndon butthole johnson did he serve yeah. really he was in world war ii oh man he must have been a real asshole then too i bet i mean everybody it was uh it was a thing that you know because yeah yeah because you couldn't just be a career a, a fucking career politician you had to do something to you know yeah, because, uh, well, even, no, even back further. So then Eisenhower, Truman. Made a deal with the aliens. And then, then, then he had to go back to Roosevelt. Yeah. Theodore. Well, yeah, because, I mean, Frank wasn't serving with his little hot dog legs. He couldn't. No. No. I mean, nowadays he could run a drone or something. True. You know? True. But. But I mean, you See, know. That's the, that's the thing. It's like. People doing that, like, do they really need to be able to run a fucking mile in three minutes? No. No. They need to be able to brush fucking Cheeto crumbs off their fingers and get back on their Xbox controller and drone children in a village somewhere that we don't need to be. It's very true. <laughs> anyway. Um, so they get out into this this meadow and they get within about 200 meters of the Rhine and he tells everybody to get down and they belly crawl the rest of the way there. They had to do this because there were patrols on both sides of this meadow. For whatever reason, none of these Germans wandered off into the meadow. I don't uh, know if they were, you know, a fear to werewolves or something, but they maybe. just, they didn't go. Um, at one point in time, somebody is spotted and a machine gun opens up on them. Um, but the machine gun nest was silenced pretty quickly by a couple homeboys with Sten guns. Uh-huh. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Because tube is good. Yeah. Um, but other than that, there was no no opposition at all. <clears throat> they reach the Rhine in pretty good order. And uh, when they get there, um, Digby gives up the, the V signal with his torch. So they have like um, those weird like L-shaped flashlights with the different color plastic yeah. things. So the signal was a red V. So you'd have to put your red sa- your red thing in, turn it on, put your fingers up in front of it, make a V. Okay. So that people on the other side could see it. They didn't see it. And then at one thirty, the next morning, the entire party is across the river. Um and this is where Operation Pegasus takes takes place basically. This was overseen by um 
Canadian engineers, but it was carried out by the 101st Airborne yep. in paddle boats. And they brought all these dudes back across the fucking Rhine, um, which is, <laughs> it's crazy. Because, like, in the movie, it looks, in, in the show, it may, they make it look like they did it in one trip. They were there for hours dragging dudes back across the river in canoes, basically. Yeah. It was it was a while. Um unfortunately the lieutenant that did it got killed. Yeah. At least I think. In the show at least. Yeah. Um hold on here. Oh fuck it. Rolled back up on me here. Okay. Um so his citation for uh the distinguished service cross uh-huh. um, distinguished service order, whatever cross it's the same thing that he earned for everything that he did goes like this. Major Tatham Water. Commander A Company, 2nd Para, which dropped west of Arnhem in Holland on September 17th. The task of the battalion was the vital one of capturing the main Rhine Bridge, and this officer handled the leading company with such dash and skill that the bridge was in our hands before dark after after considerable casualties had been inflicted on the enemy and 30 prisoners captured. Outstanding use of an umbrella. Dude, their their accommodations are way better than ours, because ours are just fucking dry oh my god he, had, he did it with dash man like what's yeah. dash i don't know but he had it he had he, it in fucking spades i mean he he wins the he, he had more dash than he knew what to do with for outstanding use of an umbrella during <laughs> combat he gets an oscar for that one <laughs> yes um <laughs> later when the commanding officer took command of all forces on the bridge major tatum water assumed command of the battalion he commanded during the next three days when the battalion, without any resupply or food of, without any resupply of food or ammunition, resisted incessant and determined attacks by vastly superior forces, including tanks. Throughout this period, Major Tatum Water displayed magnificent qualities of courage, leadership, and the utmost determination. He was to be found invariably at the most threatening points, at the most threatened point in the defense where his personal example was an inspiration to all. Yeah. On the occasion, he was rendered unconscious by a blast from an 88 millimeter tank round firing point blank at the house he was in, but he recovered with a uh, recovered and resumed, resumed command. He recovered with a flourish. So that is the only place that I saw that account. But apparently this tank was, I'm assuming, within, like, contact distance of the barrel to the house. And they're like, fuck you, in German. And it knocked him out. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, we got that, son of a bitch. Uh, let's see. Later, uh, later, when captured by the enemy, he escaped and showed great initiative in making contact with the Dutch resistance organization. organization. He organized and assembled a force of 100 escaped air- airborne troops. So that they could play their part when the Germans should be uh, should be uh, should begin to withdraw. Well, oh, Jesus! Finally, when orders were rec- were received to withdraw, this party through the when orders were received to withdraw this party through the German lines, Major Tatum Water was larger largely responsible for the planning of a most brilliant and successful operation in which 130 armed men escaped through the German lines and crossed the Rhine. For a month behind the German lines, this officer moved about regardless of his personal safety and was an inspiration to all those who saw him. You know. And they thought he was a nutbag, too. Absolutely, they did. <laughs> on, his re- <clears throat> on his return to the UK, Digby, Tatum, Warder, received command of the remnants of A Company. 
and wrote the following report on the defense of Arnhem, uh, <coughs> the defense of Arnhem Bridge, which led to Lieutenant Jack Grayburn, uh, Grayburn being posthumously awarded the Victoria Cross, which is fucking awesome. Um, copies of the letter were sent to his family and all of those in the second paratroop battalion. Um, but he did not. Uh, so he, he wrote, basically wrote a letter to everybody in his battalion, to their families that didn't come home. Yeah. Personally sat down and wrote letters to all of their families. But they, that's what you did then. You know, you could have had somebody else like, Hey, write this same letter, change the names in it and just fucking pass it off to a couple of clerks and have them type it up. No, he did it himself. That's once again, that's you what know? you do. After the war, uh, Digby served in a British controlled. He served in what they called British controlled mandatory Palestine before being appointed to the fifth King's African rifles in British Kenya in 1946. Um, while he was in Kenya, he bought a couple of estates, um, one in Aburu and one in Nayuki. Sounds a little Japanesey to me, but whatever. Okay. Um, during the Mau Mau uprising, Digby raised a volunteer mounted police force at his own expense and led them into the ba- into battle against the Mau Mau. He then retired to run his estates. Also created the concept of the modern safari, where animals would be photographed rather than hunted. Ah. So that's him. Like, he is him. The yep. guy that did that, you know, which is pretty fucking cool. Um, during Kenyan, indep- uh, Kenyan independence, it is reported that the British defense staff told the British high commissioner to, quote, look after Tatum Warder. Ah. Because they're like, this dude is retired, but he is also crazy. He may do something stupid. Make sure he doesn't. Yes. <laughs> Tatum Warder, uh, Warder married in 1949 uh, to Jane Boyd, the daughter of Captain Roderick Bultiel uh, Boyd. Bultiel, B-U-L-T-E-L. Okay. Okay. Um, he was a farmer in the same town as one of his things. Um, her, fa- her grandfather was... Uh, Arthur George Edgerton, who's the fifth Earl of Wilton. Um, wow. And they went on to have three daughters and a handful of grandkids. Uh, their daughter, Belinda Rose Tatham Warder, uh, who got married. I'm sure, sorry. She married a German aristocrat, Duke Friedrich von Oldenburg, who was the great grandson of Frederick, uh, uh, Frederick Augustus, the second, who was the last ruling grand Duke of Oldenburg. Ah. So this dude just marries his daughter off to some fucking German royalty like it's pre-World War One or some shit. Um, Digby would pass away in one of his estates in uh, Nayuki on March 21st, 1993. Wow. Pretty good run. Yeah. You know, um, he was also the inspiration for the character of Major Harry Carlisle um, in the movie, in the uh, 1977 film A Bridge Too Far. So if you've ever seen that, that's him. Um, the role was played by Christopher Good. I've never actually seen the movie. I've heard it's good, though. I've never I I it seen it. Um, hmm. But uh, uh, the, the character that he plays is killed in Arnhem in the movie. Uh-huh. But, you know. He really wasn't. He he was around to watch the movie, and he didn't seem to have much of a problem with the yeah. fact that he killed him. He's like, that's whatever. A, yeah, so that's Digby Tatum Water. Nice. Um, Very nice. Damn, man. Another crazy Brit. Yep. And you guys say we don't like you. (laughs) (laughs) Kevin seems to. (laughs) You know, dude, the British were fucking insane during World War Two. Yeah. But I think they had to be. 
Yeah. Because they were so much closer to it than us. Yep. You know? Like, yeah, we had we had guys that went ballistic over there. But they were over there. They didn't, you know, we weren't worried about getting bombed by the goddamn Germans constantly. True. They weren't close enough to shoot rockets at us from a fucking island. True. You know? Very true. We didn't have as much to worry about, but Very we went over there. We're like, mm, I'm gonna kill you, yeah, because we're here. That's that's kind of what they sent us. For. <laughs> ah, My nice. dad got sent over here with a shotgun. <laughs> they sent me with a rifle, though. Yeah. Very Actually, nice. That, yeah, that, I, mean, I can say it wouldn't be true because it was the Marines that got shotguns in World War One, but the Marines didn't fight in Europe in World War One. The Marines were the Pacific. And, uh, yeah. The Pacific during World War One or, or World War Two. Two. Yeah. I mean, two. Yeah. They didn't fight in Europe during World War Two. The Marines didn't. They were in the Pacific. Or were they in, like, I don't know, Africa or some shit like that? No, that was that was regular army. Because uh, Matt Urban that I covered that fought in Africa was regular ass army. Anyway, uh, yeah, so that was a good episode. Yeah. The Marines were too busy, like, island hopping and cooking Japanese men in bunkers with fucking flamethrowers. <laughs> Which is a dude, I there, there's a, a, a guy I want to cover who, uh... Well, they did, they did, no, they fought in Tripoli. Yeah, think, during, of, their, think of their song. Yep. The halls of Montezuma. The ball, uh, Shores Tripoli, of Tripoli, Tripoli, which was in World War One. Yeah, that's what I said. Yeah. You said that, I said it was in Africa. Well, Tripoli's done. But that was World right, War One. Yeah. That wasn't World War Two. I know. Yeah. But I was saying World War One. they fought. Oh, no. I was saying they didn't fight in Europe in World War Two. Yeah, I was talking about okay, World War One. Well, we were all confused, but. I know you uh, didn't. They didn't fight. In, in, yeah. Uh, they fought in. No, there, there was a there was a, a flamethrower operator during World War II that I, I gotta find his name. I can't remember his name, but um, they interviewed him later on in life, and they're like, "Well, how how was that?" And he's like, "It was great, except I can't eat barbecue anymore." <laughs> I wonder why. Watch the Sean Ryan show. He has a he has a guy on there that uh, was a a flamethrower. Yeah, yeah, he has a good one there they talk about how uh i ain't eating barbecue i ain't eating anything with fucking teriyaki sauce on it something to do with uh he he was actually at uh um uh the fuck's the island iwo jima iwo jima it might have been that guy and he was like he was trying to have some chocolate milk or some or not chocolate milk but the hot chocolate or some shit like that and they were like or, or eat chocolate or whatever and the Japanese were like, you know, hollering down to him, you know, give us some. And then he's like, fuck you, go get your own. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, um, that, that's the proper response to the Japanese during World War Two was fuck you. Full stop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Germans, they'd be like, do we have some chocolate? And they'd be like, mm, mm, yeah, I guess so. Possibly. You shifty krauts. <laughs> but. Yeah, but that's the thing. Is like I'm not being racist. I'm just call- racist. I'm, I'm calling it as it is. It's prejudice. I'm not being prejudiced either. I'm calling it as it is. The Germans were way nicer to us during World War II than the Japanese were. Mm-hmm. The Germans never once death marched us. You know, like our troops. Um, did they commit war crimes against them? Yeah, they did. But uh, if you I were didn't say they didn't, I think they did actually. If you were a, if you were captured by the Germans, 
or if you were German captured by the Brits or Americans, they had like a 75% survival rate. Whereas if you were an American captured by the Japanese, your survival rate was like closer to 20. Yeah. There's, there's a big fucking difference there. Yeah. But that's also because the Japanese were going to kill everybody. Like true. You know, but they done fucked up. They fucked on Korea. They completely fucked on China. Um, I mean, they raped an entire city in China. That was pretty bad. True. True. Which, I mean, yeah, we'll have to cover that at some point, maybe. But yeah. then we also have to look at pictures of it, which is bad. Yeah. I've seen some. They're they're bad. Yeah. You can find them on websites. So you have to go into incognito mode to, mm. to go to. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Speaking of incognito. No, not really. If uh, you want to have, you know, hear more shit about uh, us talking about different stuff sometimes. And maybe not as long as a main Dark episode. Windows podcast on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash Dark Windows podcast. $5 a month gets you access to all 100 plus of our Patreon episodes. Yes. And new shit once a week. I think we're like at 102 or something. Uh, yeah, this this week will be 103, I want to yeah. say. Um, we and got a, also, we got a few. also go on over to studio.com. Check them out. They got some Bluetooth speakers, plural, not and or well three actually, and then they have uh, a whole bunch of headphones. Well, not headphones, earbuds, uh, earbuds, whole bunch of a variety. And I do have a set of headphones that I don't really call them headphones. They look more like earbuds, but okay, like the like behind the head kind of deals something, or something close to that. Oh. I don't know, but uh, check them out uh, and put whatever you want in your basket. Go check out, do the promo code of DarkWindows15 to get 15% off your entire purchase. Uh, let's see. We're on Facebook, Dark Windows Podcast. Um, and uh, let's see. In- Instagram, Dark Windows Pod. Yep. Uh, we won't mention the other one. And also, hey, everybody, you're listening to this. If you have not voted, go over to the page on Facebook. The the and poll ends vote. February first. Yes, vote. Um, and what are you voting on? You might ask. We are going to do another eliminator tournament, like we did with the asshole eliminator tournament a couple years ago. Um, this year the options are. Uh, hold on, bear with me for one moment. Historical. The three options you have are asshole. historical assholes, which is in the lead by a substantial amount. Yes. Dictators, and international war crimes. Yes. Um, at this point in time, it does look like we're going to be covering historical assholes. Um, I'm going to say it right now. Maximum one Nazi. How do you feel about that? Okay. Okay. So that'd be like the same with war crimes. One. Well, I mean, war, war criminals, we could okay, do a maximum to... of two Nazis because we're doing a 12, a 12. Five. We do are doing a 12 person. Okay. Eliminator. All right. Five two. is too many. Yeah. Two. Because we don't want to. Put it in no, favor of a Nazi no, winning, and true. that's a lot. It's, it's true. It's true. You know, that's like a forty percent chance that a Nazi would win. And when we're talking about historical assholes, like okay, so we did cover some, well, like some leaders that were assholes. But I mean, most we're... of the guys we did last time were basically dictators, world yeah. leaders. You know, yeah. We'll but try not we're to do any we're, of those. We're trying not to do that. We're trying to do like some other people. That are lesser known, sorta, kinda. Not really lesser known, but that are just they were just did something in history that fucked a lot of people over. Yeah, yeah. 
And I've got one in mind that I think we're going to have to put on the list. And you're going to go, who? And then you read about it and go, oh, yeah, this guy's a piece of shit. So, now, Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, we'll be back next week. Unless Good, you uh, listen, unless you uh, listen to Patreon or your Patreon subscriber. Yeah. Then uh, you'll we'll be back on Sunday. Yeah. But the dulcet uh, tones of our voices again. Yeah. So until then, just, just be- because you can't see out in the dark doesn't mean the dark can't see into you. Motherfucker. You say it all the time. <laughs> I haven't said it in a long time. Well, bye bye. <laughs>